Welcome to today's edition of Take a Leap and Transform, a neo-diversity journey podcast where entrepreneurs, employees, business owners, and individuals can become aware and transform their mindset. Welcome back to Take a Leap and Transform, a neo-diversity journey. I'm your host, Joseph K. Muscats. Are you ready to take a leap with me? As you know, part of the purpose of this podcast is to incorporate businesses and entrepreneur topics of conversation as part of mine and your neo-diverse journey. One element of business that is not tackled in schools and viewed with dread by business owners or managers is the idea of networking. I have to admit, for a long time, I was one of them. And things began to change as I began to understand networking, where I realized it is a skill set that can be developed and in the right way can produce amazing results. It is also amazing to see the number of neo-diverse people I know who are incredible networkers. They are entrepreneurs, managers, sales executives, business development executives, and who have ADHD, dyslexia, or who are autistic, to name a few, who have such networking ability. When we take a larger look at big known founders of businesses, we can see that there are not only effective business networkers, they're also neo-diverse. There are such names as Sir Richard Branson or Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary. On the flip side of things are those in the neo-minority who haven't tapped into their networking skill set because they are either don't know how, stuck in the rut of running their business, or a lack of confidence, or have difficulty with social environments. This is why I have a very special treat for you today. I am pleased to introduce to you Dr. Ivan Meisner, the founder and chief visionary officer of BNI, the world's largest networking organization. Founded in 1985, the organization now has over 10,600 chapters in 76 countries throughout every populated continent of the world. Last year alone, BNI generated 12.4 million referrals resulting in more than $18.6 billion worth of business for its members. I'm going to repeat that aspect because a lot of people don't realize the amount of referrals that are required to generate that kind of return for business, which is 12.4 million referrals were needed to get $18.6 billion worth of business. Dr. Meiser's PhD is from the University of Southern California. He is the New York Times bestselling author who has written 26 books, including one of his latest books, Who's in Your Room? He is also the columnist for TheEntrepreneur.com and has been a university professor as well as a member of the Board of Trustees for the University of La Vigneur. Called the father of modern networking by Forbes and CNN, Dr. Meisner is considered to be one of the world's leading experts on business networking and has been a keynote speaker for major corporations and associations throughout the world. He has been featured in LA Times, Wall Street Journal, and New York Times, as well as numerous TV and radio shows, including CNN, the BBC, and the Today Show on NBC. Among his many awards, he has been named Humanitarian of the Year by the Red Cross and has been the recipient of the John C. Maxwell Leadership Award. He's proud that he and his late wife, Elizabeth, are the co-founders of the BNI Charitable Foundation. They also reached empty nester status after happily raising their three children. Oh, and in his spare time, he is also an amateur magician and black belt in karate. Welcome, Dr. Meisner. 
which I know you asked me to call you Ivan. Yes, Joseph, please call me Ivan. Thanks. Do we have any time for the interview after that uh, introduction? <laughs> that, was, I, that was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, uh, Ivan, I have to get used to that. <laughs> Ivan, um, I would like to begin by asking you to explain for our listeners what is BNI and how it works? Well, BNI is a referral organization. We get together every week and we pass each other referrals. I started the organization because uh, I, when I was a management consultant many years ago, I went to networking groups that I felt were really, they were just mercenary. You know, I'd leave those meetings. I felt like I had been slimed because everyone was trying to sell to me. And I didn't like those. Then I went to these other groups that were really social. It was happy hour and hors d'oeuvres. And I didn't like those because no business was being done. So what I wanted was to be part of a, a group that had a focus on business, but wasn't mercenary, that um, had a focus on relationships, but wasn't totally social. And so I started one group and it, it ended up becoming BNI. And that one group, um, our, our principal core value from almost the beginning was giver's gain, this idea that if I help you, if I give you business, you'll help me, you'll give me business. And so it was, it had a focus on business, but it was very relational. And what really took me by surprise was just how it resonated with the business community. And people kept asking me to open more groups. And you may not know this, Joseph, but I actually told the first person who said, you know, would you help me open up a group like this? And I said, I said, no, because this isn't what I do. I'm a business consultant. She talked me into it, and I'm glad she did, because we now have over 285,000 members, 285,000 members all around the world. Uh, and it's all about giving referrals, giving and getting referrals, just like you explained in the introduction. Thank you for that. And that's a fantastic explanation uh, and very clear. As I said in the opener, networking is not taught and, and it's not seen as a skill set. There is this attitude of, I, do I have to network? Why is networking so important to business? Well, hey, listen, you know, if, if you ask people, uh, has networking played a role in your success? You'd be shocked at the number who say yes. As a matter of fact, I have. Uh, I did a survey of almost 12,000 people that was published in a book I did a number of years ago. And of those 12,000 people, 91.4%, uh, 91.4% said networking had played a role in their success. When have you ever seen 91% of any group of people agree to anything ever? That just never happens. What's going on though, is that people know that networking is important, but um, they don't, many of them don't like it. Because, because it is, you know, schmarmy. They, people are constantly trying to sell to each other. Oftentimes, people use networking as a face-to-face -face cold calling opportunity. And that's not what networking should be about. It should be about building relationships with people. We don't teach it in colleges and universities. And I know why. I mean, I taught at a university for 16 years. I was on the board of trustees for the University of Laverne for eight years. Uh, we don't teach it because... Uh, in business, the full-time tenured professors control the curriculum, and most full-time tenured professors in business have never run a business. And so they tend to teach what I call sterile marketing. Heaven forbid that I get my hands dirty and, and make a sale. It's why we don't teach sales in, 
colleges and universities. I mean, come on, really? In business, you don't teach sales? That's crazy. And, and so networking is viewed as an offshoot of sales by full-time tenured professors, not the adjuncts like I was, but the full-time tenured professors. That's why we don't teach it. That's interesting. I never, I never thought of it that way. And uh, I like the term uh, sterile. Sterile marketing. Yeah. Hey, sterile you know, marketing. Heaven forbid we get our hands dirty and sell something. See, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. People don't get this. It's the full-time tenured professors that control the curriculum. Adjuncts, I had no power on a curriculum. Even the president and the dean of a university, uh, of, of a school in the university, really don't have much power on what's taught. They can make suggestions, but it's only the full-time tenured professors that can create a, a, a course. Huh. That is interesting. And, and it's, it's a shame in, in that regards, you know, yeah, it, this, it, is, it, this is going to change. Yeah. Technology and uh, online um, uh, universities and and even for-profit universities uh, will eventually. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that because I've I've taken some online courses and I can see in that aspect they they're incorporating it into more and more into it because they see the need of it, especially when you know these different uh, types of online MBAs. But it's interesting. I mean, it goes back to in regards from a neo diversity standpoint. Um, that there's a lot of things not taught in schools. And I always say that it's the system. Um, the system, it's too slow to adapt to what is needed and not recognizing. And they're still so stuck in how things were 20, 30, 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, um, listen, I've worked but, at universities. I've taught yeah. there. I was on the, so I taught as a adjunct professor. And I was on the board of trustees, which the president reports to. So I've seen it from, from both sides. And you're absolutely right. It, it's, you know, it's, it's like a step or two above the Department of Motor Vehicles in terms of yeah. bureaucracy, <laughs> a lot of bureaucracy yeah. at universities. And um, technology is going to change that. Yeah, I believe that. I agree with you. So one of the elements you talk about, which I think would be, would create an internal external analysis of what I call or what are called different networkers or for, or, for, or for different networkers of neo-diverse persons, which is behavioral styles of a networker. And, and I think this is crucial for, for, for neo-diverse people to understand. Can you explain further on this? Well, I, I wrote a book about behavioral styles um, using the DISC instrument as the core um, and, and, and talking about different networking behavioral styles. Um, but I think one of the things that one needs to start with is this concept of um, extrovert versus introvert. And what's really interesting, and, and I did a blog on this about 15 years ago, if you, if you go to ivanmeisner.com, I'll look, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you the title of the blog in a minute. Um, I was home, I, at that time I lived in Los Angeles in Claremont, California. Uh, I, I now live in Austin, Texas. And um, my kids, our kids, my, my late wife and I, they were at a high school thing, um, a, a, a practice for a drama course. And so we had the night off and it was like, oh my gosh, this is what it's going to be like when we're empty nesters. This is great. We're having a great dinner conversation. 
And I'm going to talk about behavior profiles here, behavior styles. And I said something to her about, oh, uh, you know me, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert. And she looked at me, she's like, um, no, you're not. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm not? She said, you're not an extrovert, you're an introvert. I'm like, I run the world's largest networking organization. I can't possibly be an introvert. She said, babe, whatever you say, <laughs> sweetie, whatever, whatever you, I'm not, no, don't, don't do that. What do you mean? And so she said, I just read a book called The Introvert and Extrovert in Love. And she starts explaining all of these things about how I'm, I'm introverted. And she's talking about these. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a little bit like me. And that's a little bit like me. But then she got one that really hit home. Because I kept saying, I'm not. I'm not an introvert. You know, I'm a keynote speaker. I, I don't, I'm not an introvert. She said, well, one of the um, things that determines the difference between an introvert and an extrovert is how they spend their off time. You know, you need to recharge your batteries. So you hide, you, you go into your cave, you hide, you do stuff. You may stay with the family, but you don't go out. And she said, extroverts, they go out. That recharges their batteries. By the way, that was my late wife. She would go out, she would spend time with people. And I'm like, okay, that's sort of like me, but I am not an introvert, I told her. And now I'm annoyed. This great dinner we were having alone, I'm now annoyed. So I go to my office and I take this test online about being an introvert and extrovert, it pops up and it says, congratulations, Ivan Meisner, you are an introvert who is a situational extrovert, which was an expression I never heard before. And it said, a situational extrovert is somebody who, when you're talking about your, your area of expertise, something you really know well, or maybe when you're with close friends, you come across as an extrovert, but basically you're an introvert, go apologize to your wife. Okay, it didn't say that last part, but but it, that, yeah, that's what it said, was that you're an introvert who uh, is only a situational extrovert. And that was an epiphany for me in many ways. And we, we might get to how that led to something else I discovered a few years later. Uh, but one of the reasons it was an epiphany for me was it was like the kind of network I created. I was like, wow, this makes sense because um, I could have created a network that was like a, a big mixer. Everyone get together, they mix, they mingle. I don't like big events unless somebody's there to introduce me around because I'm, I'm the founder of the world's largest networking organization. But I'm still uncomfortable just walking up to a stranger and talking to them. And so um, I created an intimate small group. You know, our average members are around 30, 30 members per chapter. We've got some as big as maybe a hundred, but you know, 25, 30, 40 members in a chapter. People, you, you can get to know them because you're meeting them every week. You're building a relationship. And I thought, wow, that's what an introvert would do. I'd never thought of that. And so I discovered, you know, like 15 years ago that behaviorally, I'm an introvert that is a situational extrovert. Wow. Well, I mean, there's a number of things uh, in that particular point, Ivan, uh, that just rings bells. I mean, I've always seen myself or identified myself as being an introvert because uh, you're right. It's, it's situations. And, and in the right situation, I can you know talk my ear off. But then there's other times where 
you know, I just don't feel comfortable. It's, it's, you know, whatever this, that particular situation is. And that's why I've always seen myself as an extrovert and being part of BNI has changed that for me uh, because as you said, it, it's, it's those situations. And uh, you mentioned recharging your batteries. Again, that's just, just a, a particular common trait when it comes to neurodiverse individuals where myself, for example, I mean, I could have, you know, three or four hours of good hard work and then I just need to shut down because I need to, I need to recharge my batteries. Um, so going on with that, there's a particular, some other elements in regards to behavioral styles. Yeah. And in, in the book, a uh, room full of referrals, we put it in the context of networking, uh, but they're commonly understood from the disc system, drive, influence, steadiness, and compliance. Somebody with a high D is very assertive, um, very outgoing, uh, but, but very direct, uh, somebody with a high eye has high people skills, influence. They're really good at uh, connecting with people. Uh, a high S is very steady, very analytical. They look things over carefully. And a high C is very compliant. Uh, they're the Department of Motor Vehicles people. It's, you didn't got that I, you didn't cross that T, you know, and they hand it back. Um, so here's the thing is that, um, it doesn't really matter what behavioral style you have, as long as you understand it and you learn how to work within it. And uh, I do have a, I, I have a high D I'm, I'm very direct, reasonably high. I, I do like working with people, but only select people. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily like meeting strangers, but I do like building relationships. Uh, and you know, if you have a low S like I do, which means you're going to take on a lot of things, you're going to, you're going to juggle many things and low C compliance means, look, I'm just going to do it my own way. Thank you very much. Which isn't always necessarily a good thing. It's good as an entrepreneur, not particularly good if you're an employee, if you're an employee, that's why in the behavioral profile system, it's called the management hook because the profile, you know, has a high D reasonably high I for a manager, low S so it can handle a lot of things. And there's a hook, the compliance level goes up. And that tends to be a reasonably decent managerial behavioral style where you have the high, the C come up a little bit like a fish hook. Does that make sense? And that makes complete sense. That's, that's, that's quite interesting. And here's one other thing. If, you, if, you're in, if you're a therapist or even a business coach, Someone with a high I and a high S makes a really good tens. Look, behavioral styles do not mean you're going to be successful at anything or fail at anything normally. Um, but there are some consistencies. Like if you're if you're a, a really good business coach or a therapist, you're going to have a high I and a high S, meaning you're very people oriented and you're very steady and you like to listen. And you're good at listening. You know, that's a, that's a style that tends to draw certain professions. Yeah. And, and, and as you said earlier, w being able to identify it and again, point out the strengths and traits, then you can see within yourself and hopefully be able to, to focus more on that, to build on, build on it. Um, and that brings us to, you know, you wrote a book or co-wrote a book last year, Ivan, um, which would, as an intro to BNI, the, the connector effect. And out of that came up the term master connector. So 
can you explain to, to us what is a master connector and what are the qualities of a master connector? So, you know, the, the thing is uh, with a, a, a master connector is somebody that is really good at connecting people together, finds ways to uh, connect people who have uh, similar needs. And I, I think, you know, the, the, the characteristics of anybody, I learned many, many years ago uh, at USC, when I was working on my doctoral degree, I studied under uh, Warren Bennis. And Warren Bennis was in his day, the world's leading expert on leadership. That mantle has been handled to, handed over to uh, John Maxwell. I know John, amazing peer person. And, and, and Warren was amazing. And when I studied under him, you know, I, I wrote, um, uh, I was doing my uh, doctoral exams and I, in one of my exams, I talked about the behavior, the characteristics of a great leader. And he just tore me apart on that topic because he said, look, um, you know, the characteristics you mentioned can be great characteristics of a leader. And then he mentioned these other characteristics that were totally different. He said, yeah, have you ever seen leaders who have these kinds of characteristics? And I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, see, the characteristics of a great leader can vary. It's how you apply those characteristics. And so contextual intelligence is really important. No matter what behavioral style you have, understanding the context and being able to adapt to, the, to, to that context is really, really critical. And so in terms of, of, of the characteristics of what makes a great networker is that it's, be, it, I think it's being able to understand the context of the situation and to be able to adapt to it. All those other behavioral characteristics are kind of secondary. So if you know what's, what's your strengths and weaknesses are, learning how to apply those is really important. And, and so I'll come back to that a little bit, but let me explain. When I was a kid, I was about 13 years old. My mother gave me this paperweight. And it says, diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way. And my mom said, honey, I love you, but you're a bull in a china shop. He's like, knock people over. You got to learn how to work with people, not knock them over. This is about collaboration, not manipulation. Uh, and so you learn how to work with people. And so these are the things that I think it takes to really become a, a master connector. And here's one phrase that I will give you that can help you no matter what your behavioral style. How can I help you? That's the magic phrase of becoming a master connector. And I'll, I'll tell you one quick story and then I'm done. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for letting me elaborate. Um, I did an interview on live on the radio about two years ago. And I mentioned to the host live on air, how can I help you technique? It's a really important uh, way of connecting people. And he said to me, seriously, that old phrase on air, seriously, that old phrase, that doesn't work. That's, you know, people see that coming. And I said, well, no, really, it can be very effective. And he disagreed. I didn't want to have a battle on air. And so we moved on to the next topic. When we got off air, I said to him, um, you know, what kind of people are you looking for, uh, for interviews? And he gave me um, some of the people that he was kind of looking for in terms of interviews. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I know, I know that particular person. I know them pretty well. Um, 
would can I can I can I uh, make an introduction for you? Would you like me to make an introduction? And he's like, wow, would you? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. And so I, I connected with the person and I and I introduced them and he was able to do the interview. And I reached out to him afterwards and I said, and that's the way you can say, how can I help you without actually using those words? You don't have to use the words to find a way to help somebody, but it's the same thing. And, and I remember him writing back to me saying, touche, <laughs> you're right. Uh, I, I was wrong. It, it, it can be very effective. Just don't make it, uh, you know, just don't make it sound, you know, how can I help you? Be genuine and look for ways to assist people. And that's the magic of being a master connector. I couldn't agree more. And, and I really like what you said there. Uh, understand the context and adapt to it. And I think that's a lot, of, regardless of who you are, I think that, uh, that's something a lot of people are either good at or not good at, and they just have to figure out how to adapt and then relate to the context. So with that in mind, as you know, to be a great networker, you need to have the right mindset, Yes, which can lead to who you want to meet. So for some neurodiverse talent and entrepreneurs, having the right mindset can be challenging. In your book, who's in your room, you talk about how to develop the right mindset and where it centers around values. Can you explain the concept? Yeah, well, let's talk briefly about who's in your room. The concept of the book, Who's in Your Room, is that imagine you live your life in one room and that one room has only one door and that one door is an enter-only door so that when people come into your room or into your life, they're there forever. You can never get them out now, if that were true, Joseph, would you be more selective about the people that you've brought into your life? Yeah, I'd be very selective. Yeah, that's what everybody says. So we argue in there, why not Why not be more selective now? Because um, when you let people into your life, they're basically, we argue, they're forever. Now, that sounds like a metaphor, but let me, let me give you an example of why I don't believe that's a metaphor. Joseph, I want you to think of somebody that you let into your life but you got out of your life. You're like, this, this is not somebody that I want in my life anymore. And you got them out. Now, if you're watching or listening to this interview, I want you to do the same. I want you to think of somebody that came into your life and you got out of your life. Now, Joseph, I'm not going to ask you to name the person, but do you have somebody in mind? Yeah. Do you Do you have someone in mind that you got out of your life? Oh, you have two. Is that what you said? Did I, did I say I have two? Okay, I have two. No, no, no. What, what did you say? <laughs> I said I do. I do. I have you do. a person Okay, mind. okay. Yeah, you yes, do. Yes. All you need is one. Okay. Now, if you're watching or listening to this, I want you to think of one. Now, Joseph, and, and those of you uh, listening to this interview, think about what that person did that got you really ticked off and you wanted them out of your life. Do you have that in your head, Joseph? I do. Do you feel your annoyance with what they did? Absolutely. So if they're still in your head, they're still in your room. And they will be for the rest of your life. All the decisions you make in the future that relate in any way to the relationship you would that you had with that person, that person will come right back in. 
they're still in your room because they're still in your head. When you have uh, any kind of relationship with somebody, we, we interviewed Dr. Daniel Amen. One of the things he said is that when you have a, a relationship with someone, business, professional, personal, their fingerprints are all over your brain. And so it's very important that you get better at screening people who come into your life. And that's where the values come in. When you know what your values are, you then screen people who come into your life. And there may be people that you have to work with in one way or another, but you keep them on the porch. You don't get that close to them where they can really have a major impact on your life, if it ever possible. And so values are really the secret sauce of creating an amazing room and an amazing life. That makes so much sense. And from, from reading your book as well, I've, I've created my own little value system to, to try to center out and filter out people. Um, so I, it, just, it just makes complete sense to, to have the right mindset to, to be able to network successfully. So from a networking point of view, from what we touched upon earlier, Ivan, there's this question, are you a hunter or a farmer? I'm a farmer without, I am. If you're asking me the question, I'm a farmer without a question, without a doubt. I I, I, I got that sense already, but uh, I'm leading into the question here. Um, So, but this question is of particular interest as as I'm in a region that starts out as a hunter and takes time to develop as a farmer. What advice would you give to develop more farmers? Yeah, so let's talk about the context of that. Uh, I believe networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with other people. And this is why networking can go wrong. People use networking as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity. They, they, they are just using it to, to try to close sales. Now, look, you know, you can go to a networking event and stumble over business. But even a blind squirrel can find a nut. That's not what networking is about. Networking is about building relationships to get lifelong referrals. You want referrals for life. And the only way to do that is to build relationships for life. And that's about farming. And so I'm a big believer in developing relationships because those relationships Those are the people that are gonna give you referrals over and over and over again. And you should be doing the same for them, giving them referrals over and over and over again. Otherwise, you're basically out there, you know, uh, eating what you kill. You're hunting constantly. Does it work? Yeah, it can, absolutely. What a lot of people don't know is that I once trained an entire marketing department on cold calling. Um, I got pretty good at cold calling. I did cold calling long enough to know that I don't want to ever do it again for the rest of my life. It's it's not who I am. It's not, uh, it doesn't meet my value set. It's not what I like. And so it really is about building relationships, which by the way, if you're an introvert, that's, that's really perfect for you. Now, here's the funny thing, Joseph, is that people think that extroverts are great networkers. And yeah, they can be, but here's the problem with an extrovert. Extroverts love talking. And what's their favorite subject, Joseph? Any guess? About themselves. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Their favorite subject 
is themselves. Introverts don't necessarily like talking, but they're, but they're but they're good. They're better at listening. And and here's the way I describe it: a, a host like you, I think introverts um, are when it comes to business networking, are like a host. They ask questions and they listen, and that they let the other person expand and explain and describe. That's what makes a great networker. It, a great networker is often like a host of a, sh of a show, a podcast. Extroverts, uh, they want to be on stage. They want to be the sage from the stage. And they're not very good at listening. They're great at talking about things, mostly themselves, but they're not really good at listening. And I think what, I, I listen, I think extroverts can be great at networking, but they have to learn how to listen. I think introverts can be great at networking, but they have to learn how to connect with people. Both have a strength, both have a weakness. And this goes back to the behavioral styles that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it's, uh, again, just relating, you know, for someone who's neurodiverse, myself, building relationships is important. Having a hard time connecting is a challenge. And, and those are some of the hurdles that, that I've had to face. And be, as I get more and more experience at networking, building those relationships and learning how to build relationships has become very fundamental. It has. And you and I talked offline before uh, we did this interview, and I've never said this on any interview. I mean, I do about 200 interviews a year. I've never talked about this topic, but it's the theme of your show. And, and so I'm happy to be transparent on this in terms of neurodivergent. Um, you know, more than a decade ago, I learned that I was a situational extrovert, basically an introvert. And, and that was a, a real wake up for me. And literally just a few years ago, um, I was diagnosed. And again, I've never shared this on any show. Uh, I was diagnosed uh, on the spectrum uh, of autism, uh, a low end uh, on the spectrum. And again, it was one of those things that was a little bit of an epiphany for me because I've always believed, uh, you know, I kind of plan my spontaneity, <laughs> you know, I'm very uh, organized and systematic. And, um, and then I look at at my life experience in networking and recognize that for several years, I method acted my way through the process of learning how to network because I knew how important it was, but I had to create systems and processes in my mind that would enable me to network effectively. And one of the benefits, one of the one of the benefits of that was that I wrote everything down and I taught and trained people to do it so that they could have a system to do it as well. And the, the truth is that that all stems from the fact that, um, that I actually uh, am low end on the spectrum. And it was, again, my late wife that, that kind of um, um, helped me discover that. Well, first off, Ivan, thank you very much for disclosing. Um, and it, it's going to have a huge impact on a, on a number of people to understand, you know, because again, you, you are one of the prime examples of someone who's neurodiverse, who has excelled and focused on their strengths and not let them hold them back. Um, with that in mind, though, 
Can, can I just can I just say one thing? Yeah, yeah, Hang yeah. on to the with that in mind. Yeah. When I was told by by someone, a therapist, that I was neurodivergent uh, and and uh, low end on the spectrum, I I said, No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I argued. And uh, one of the things that she said, which I I made me rethink, was she said, Hey, look, it's not bad. It's not bad. A lot of incredibly successful people who are on the spectrum. And she said, look, you couldn't, these are her exact words, you could not go to MIT and roll a bowling ball down the aisle without hitting a boatload of people who are on the spectrum. It's not bad. It's just who you are. And if you learn how to manage it, you can actually achieve incredible success as you have, she said to me. And that framed it for me in a way that felt, um, it felt better. And, um, and so I would just say to somebody that may have been diagnosed with that is sit on it, think about it a little bit and consider the fact that there are amazing people who may have received a diagnosis like that who have achieved incredible success in their life. And I cut you off, Joseph, what were you going to say? Oh, first off, that's fantastic uh, words coming out of you. Um, and you're 100% right. And a lot of people do need to sit, that, sit down and recognize that. Um, with that in mind, I mean, you also mentioned systems and processes, which I have found for myself to be one of the key things that I need to develop for myself. Uh, and I think from my experience with other neo-diverge entrepreneurs, they have done the same. They've created systems and processes that have led to their success. So it's a very key thing that you've pointed out, the importance of creating systems and processes. And also, you also mentioned mimicking, because that's something that a lot of particular autistic individuals do they mimic because they don't know they don't know how to behave or or they mask it yeah, so i think i said i method acted my way through it which is right the same thing yeah 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 exactly and so it's just you know it, i think for a lot of people it's a skill set that has come naturally and they don't recognize it and, and then as in your case they've been diagnosed and they go oh it's an it's an epiphany moment yeah. Um, so that actually kind of leads us off to, to, to the next set of questions. Um, so, cause we've covered a lot about networking and I think we've, 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 we've hit a lot of key points about networking and I want to move on to the, the conversation towards neodiversity. So from an inclusion and diversity aspect, there has been quite a lot of focus on equality for either gender, religion, or physical disabilities, to name a few. In the last two years, we have seen a rise in neodiversity awareness. So my question to you, Ivan, as the founder of a large organization, and in your years in business, how can organizations become more inclusive to the neodiverse community? Yeah, well, let me talk about it from a, a, a large perspective, and then we can hone down to neurodiverse. Uh, um, I think diversity within an organization is a fact. You either have it or you don't. When I say it's a fact, I mean, it, it is what it is. You either 
are a diverse organization or you're not a diverse organization. Inclusion is a choice. Meaning that you as an organization have to make the choice to be inclusive. And when you make the choice to be inclusive, the diversity that you will experience will be one that is broad. And the fact of diversity, I think, will be more comprehensive. That you'll you'll be a more diverse organization and and a more a person with more diverse contacts and connections. Now, when it comes to neurodiversity, you know that one's um, that's a, it's difficult in its own way. You know, when you're talking about um, diversity on age, you see it. You know, they're young, they're old. You look at me, I got gray hair. I'm on the old side of the spectrum. So, uh, you know, when you look at uh, ethnicity, you see it. Gender, you see it. But neurodiversity, you don't immediately see. And I, you know, I'm not an expert. My PhD is not in psychology. And so I'll just give you a layman's impression of how to be inclusive. Uh, in terms of neurodiversity. I think it's really important, especially in the beginning of making a connection with somebody to give people grace. It's that simple. Give people grace. We all have different ways of looking at the world, managing the world, dealing with the world. And the more we can give people grace to understand how they're dealing with the world, the more inclusive we're gonna be. Now, that doesn't mean you need to let them in your room. That doesn't mean that you need to build a long-term relationship with them, but it doesn't mean that you need to spend enough time to understand them, to know where they're coming from. Because there have been people that have been difficult, that have amazing values that I've allowed into my room. There are people uh, who have been difficult that don't have the same values that I've learned not to let them into my room. And so you gotta give people grace long enough to really get to know who they are and whether you wanna let them into your life or not. Does that make sense, Joseph? That makes complete sense. And I completely agree with you. You need to give grace. And that's something that a lot of people need to understand when it comes to the neurodiverse community, because there's a lot of great talent out there. I mean, if I were just to throw out some stats out there, one third of entrepreneurs, so that means one third of the BNI community are potentially neurodivergent. Um, if we take a look at a study done from BBC, when they did what makes the mind of a millionaire, they found that 40% of the millionaires that they surveyed were dyslexic. So, I mean, there's, you know, so imagine the, the amount of talent pool that is out there that is neodivergent and faces hurdles or, or excels. And, and I'd like to go a bit deeper in this, Ivan, because as a common barrier, from, particularly from micro to SME businesses, I hear we are too small, which I understand is they're, they're putting out fires or they're focused on hitting targets. So what advice can you give to help them become more inclusive to the neodiverse? What do you mean by they're too small? They're too small to um, uh, bring in neurodiverse? Well, they're already most likely are employing neodiverse. But when we take a look at the aspect of, let's say, having policies, procedures, 
providing reasonable accommodations. When you take a look at big organizations like Microsoft, they have a, a huge inclusion of policy for autism and now other aspects of neurodiversity, such as dyslexia or ADHD. And they look at that and goes, well, they're a big company. They can do that. We're too small. Yeah, I am. Um... I can empathize with that comment in the sense that, um, you know, you haven't, it, there's a really good chance that they haven't dealt with it. When you're really small, you don't have a lot of experiences in dealing with uh, diverse kinds of uh, ex, uh, situations. I remember it was 1981 and I was working at a company that had a transgendered employee. And the employees just flipped. I mean, they were beside themselves. It was a uh, a man trans transing to uh, become a woman, and the woman women were just so upset. Uh, you know, they they argued they did not want him using their restroom, and um, and it was reasonably small. It was maybe a hundred employees, eighty employees. And that was way outside their paradigm. And you know, 1981, that, that was 41 years ago. That was a real new experience. I would argue that small companies constantly have new experiences because they're, they're not large enough to have a lot of experiences. And I would go back to my, give people grace and see how they are as an employee. Can they do the job? Can they work through their issues? Can you help them through their issues? But I kind of understand small companies have a harder time with it because they just don't have they don't have the tool set yet um, to to learn how to deal with more challenging issues that aren't obvious. And neurodiversity is not as obvious as gender or ethnicity. I don't know if I'm giving them a hall pass or just trying to explain the challenge. But what I'm trying to do is explain the challenge. Yeah, you you are. You are explaining it. Um, and a lot of things that you said uh, not only make sense, but is is quite known. You know, they are too small. They, they Not that they're too small. They don't have the experience. They don't have the know-how. And because of that, they're, they're unwilling and don't know how to navigate. And they don't that's know where, how to navigate it. Look, yeah. one of the things about, you see all this gray hair? Each one of those hairs is an experience. It's like, you, you know, uh, and you think I'm kind of kidding. I'm not. My dad passed away at 85. He had less gray hair than I did at that time. And so he had a less stressful life. You know, the, 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 the challenges, the experiences that you get um, give you a perspective. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I got a lot of perspective over the years and when you're small and new in business, you don't have all those perspectives. But the more you can kind of just be patient and give people grace and talk to them, try to understand them, the better entrepreneur you're going to be. I agree. And I think, I think that's the key takeaway is being patient and graceful. And as you said earlier, focus on their strengths, see where they're good at and, and, and scale that. And I think that's the most important takeaway in, in regards to comes to micro and SMEs. And then from there, because you said earlier, they're constantly experiencing new things. So because they're constantly experiencing new things, they're going to adapt as they go along. So that, frankly, Ivan, brings us to the point where I would like to know, lastly, how can our listeners 
get in touch with you or find you? Yeah, well, of course, BNI, uh, which you've mentioned, and I appreciate that, Joseph, BNI.com. We have 10,600 chapters all around the world. And if anyone's interested in my blog, IvanMeisner.com, that's M-I-S-N-E-R, IvanMeisner.com. I have 15 years of content up there. It's all free um, and lots of things that I've talked about, about networking and about about scaling a business, you can find it at ivanmeisner.com. Joseph, thanks for having me uh, on your show. And, and uh, this is the first interview, as I said, that I've talked about my neurodiversity. So I will, um, I will share this with my audience. And, and thanks for the work you do. The work you do is really important for people. Well, thank you for that, Ivan. And definitely thank you for being a guest on the show and, and passing on your knowledge to, to help neurodivergent become better networkers and understand how to become better networkers. And that, in fact, they really have what they need. It's just identifying that. And, and also, thank you very much for being very open and candid and disclosing um, that you are a fellow neurodivergent yourself. And that's incredible. I really, really appreciate that. And really, you know, both um, prior to our, to, to, to the recording and um, after uh, didn't expect, you know, you coming out with that. This brings us to an end of another episode where I hope you're ready to take a leap and develop your neo-diversity networking skills. As I take this podcast further, I'm looking for ways I can engage with you to create more amazing content. It's because of this, I've created a Patreon page where you can connect with me more directly with several options, including where you can watch a full video of past and current interviews. You can also find me on social media and I encourage you to join my groups in either LinkedIn or Facebook. I've posted the links in the show notes. Till next time, take a leap and transform.